This is the second day of this October online, October 2020 online five-day session. And uh, we'll return to our text from yesterday, a book called The Original Face, which is an anthology of Rinzai Zen, uh, different, different teachers, masters, uh, and this was translated and edited by Thomas Cleary. <clears throat> we left off yesterday uh, with uh, Zen master Daikaku, who's a Chinese master who uh, spent the second half of his relatively short life in Japan. He lived in uh, his first 33 years in China, came to his enlightenment there, and then uh, he heard that there was uh, little or no Zen in Japan, so he sailed to Japan and spent uh, his other 33 years there. And uh, this is uh, his teaching in the form of a, a dialogue, question and answer. So picking up, the questioner says, Though I hear what you say, it's still hard to really believe. Only by accumulating... Oh, yeah, what was he saying? Um, he was saying um, that you can, we can reach Buddhahood right where we are uh, through Zazen, through meditation. Though I hear what you say, it's still hard to really believe. Only by accumulating the virtues of reading and reciting sutras and dharanis and fasting and discipline, that is, you could say, uh, precepts, work on the precepts, discipline and recitation of Buddha names, only then can we have something to rely on. How can there be anything special about peaceful meditation without doing anything? Uh, that word peaceful, uh, in any context, really, it always makes me wince. Uh, maybe it's just me, but it, it always sounds so passive. Um, real, real Zen meditation is anything but passive. It's, uh, it's active. Uh, that is, we're we're actively engaged uh, with, with the practice, whether we're sitting or moving about. Um, and as anyone knows who has done uh, this much at all, uh, it's, often, it's often far from peaceful. That is far from uh, bland or peaceful in a, in a kind of a dead way. It's just, it's just the English word peaceful. Um, doesn't, doesn't do justice to Zen meditation. Yes, it's, we could say still, it's still, it's quiet meditation. That is when we're sitting, we don't want to be attached to quietness. Uh, 
most people in this retreat, in this session, are sitting uh, in their own homes. Um, we do have a dozen people sitting together at Chapin Mill. Yay, let's hear it for Chapin Mill. Let's hear it for people sitting together <laughs> in a zendo again. Uh, but most people, most of us are, are sitting in our uh, individual houses um, and uh, may find that one of the things we have to contend with is uh, background noise from others who share the house with us, especially if you have kids, young kids who are tearing around your house or apartment despite your partner's best efforts to uh, wrangle them into order and quiet. Or if not uh, the noise from kids, the ordinary normal noise of kids, uh, it could be just occasional random uh, sounds from your partner or other others in the house with you, um, and this doesn't need to be a problem unless you can understand conversation. Unless it's a conversation that you can hear well enough to understand and to get sucked into. This is this is by far the hardest background noise. Uh, to to deal with in meditation is hearing conversations because it's just about impossible uh, not to um, it's about impossible to, to stay detached and not get drawn into the uh, conversation that we overhear but other than that uh, there doesn't need to be any problem with background noise. We, we, we develop the concentration to refrain from getting disturbed, being disturbed by outside noise, even pretty loud outside noise. Uh, leaf blowers, lawnmowers, big noisy trucks um, uh, on Arnold Park uh, as long as I've been there sitting there uh, we've overheard uh, the playful shrieks of kids uh, just about half a block uh, up the street at the uh, church uh, daycare uh, and that, that that is not a problem So, oh, a, um, uh, something that Roshi Kapil used to say, I think he was quoting someone else. Sorry, this is the way Tesho is. Things just spring to mind and I kind of fumble in trying to remember them. But he said in, in Zen, uh, what, we, what we aspire to, to reach is not the peace of the grave, but the peace of the sword. 
the peace that comes from struggle. Not struggling with our thoughts. That's the worst thing we can do, is fight our thoughts. But the, 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 the struggle that comes from holding fast to the practice, that's a struggle. When uh, our, the habit forces, mental habit forces are tugging, tugging, tugging at the mind, pulling it away from the practice, it takes a lot of energy to uh, resist that than just not not opposing it but just refraining from getting drawn into thoughts or once we do get drawn into thoughts which happens a million times uh, not lingering there anyway long tangent here um, uh, the questioner um, is taking issue with uh, Daikaku insisting that it's all in it's all in the meditation. Um, that same line I quoted yesterday of Hakuin, uh, upholding the precepts, repentance, giving the countless good deeds, and the way of right living, all come from zazen. And uh, just to run through this fast again to repeat it, uh, only by uh, accumulating the virtues, meaning meaning the merit. Only by accumulating the merit of uh, reading and reciting the sutras, uh, fasting, uh, disciplines of all kind, and other practices, the Japanese Pure Land practice of reciting the Buddha's name, not just Japanese, Chinese also. Only by doing all those, what in Zen we would call secondary practices, um, can we have something to rely on? We need those things. The questioner is uh, pushing back. And then how can there be anything special about uh, meditating without doing anything? Doing anything, remember, um, he's talking about sitting, not about active meditation, taking it out of the out of our sitting room or zendo into daily life. Okay, so let's give Daikaku a chance to talk here. <clears throat> he says, such doubt, that is, uh, doubt in the completeness, uh, the, the uh, fullness of just zazen, such doubt is called activity causing birth and death. What that really means is, uh, activity that binds us to the wheel of suffering, the samsara. Such doubt is called activity causing birth and death. Such doubt is called affliction. Practicing everything without any sense of attainment is called the exceedingly profound transcendent wisdom this wisdom can cut off the source of birth and death like a sharp sword. Cut off affliction. Cut off suffering. Or as uh, Hakuin puts it, one true samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions.
and then Daikaku continues, to practice virtue in hopes of reward is the illusion of ordinary people. So, yeah, we all know this, that a lot of religions, this is the, the substance of the religion is uh, uh, trying to do good in order to be rewarded uh, with a deliverance to heaven of some kind. But then he says, bodhisattvas do not seek for the resulting rewards as they cultivate roots of virtue because they cultivate goodness for the sake of impartial love and compassion and thus it becomes sustenance for enlightenment. So ordinary ordinary people are trying to do good uh, for the rewards that they imagine. Um, not, not just imagine, even Buddhism acknowledges that we, uh, we evolve in a karmic sense if we're doing good. Um, but it's a different level with the bodhisattva level. That they, they do good uh, not seeking for the, the payoff, um, but for the sake of um, a wide, broad, uh, humanitarian love and compassion. And in doing that, doing that selfless uh, practicing of virtue, virtuous things, it becomes the sustenance for enlightenment. It's a very important point. That when we and when we are doing good, especially uh, selflessly, with no thought of reward, when we are doing good, uh, we are uh, hastening our enlightenment. We are by 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 exercising selfless action. We're we're exercising that 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 muscle of giving dana the the first of the uh, six perfections every time we do this uh, we're growing into that we're, we're 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 nurturing our bodhisattva nature And then Daikaku finishes, As for those who seek rewards as they cultivate virtue and attain the lesser reward of humanity or godhood, uh, this is surely the work of birth and death. Yeah, well, we went into this yesterday about the six realms of unenlightened existence, that if, we're, if we are doing good uh, with the idea of being rewarded for it, uh, yes, we may rise up out of the realms, the lower realms of unaligned existence, uh, but we're still yoked to the wheel of samsara.
question. Without accumulating virtue, whenever he says virtue, I mean the Buddhist word would be merit. Without accumulating virtue and good qualities, how can one become a Buddha in whom myriad virtues are complete? Daikaku. It takes three incalculable eons to attain Buddhahood by accumulating virtue and good qualities. But if you practice the way of unity of cause and effect, you realize Buddhahood in one lifetime. To practice the, the way of unity of cause and effect. Again, back to the, to the Hakuin chant. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. The oneness of cause and effect means letting go of merit would be one way to understand that. Getting beyond this and that. Getting underneath the world of duality. Seeing, seeing into the realm of the, of the uh, undifferentiated. And of course, if we see into that realm, then we see that we've always been a Buddha. That from the very beginning, all beings are Buddha. talking about awakening and then he finishes someone who illumines her own mind and awakens to her real nature sees that she herself is originally Buddha not now attaining Buddhahood for the first time this is this is the, the hallmark of the Zen school of Buddhism as compared to other schools is this insistence that since, since we are all equally endowed with this Buddha nature, it's just a, an awakening to it rather than just plodding along lifetime after lifetime and uh, accumulating merit. Questioner pushes back. Do those who realize Buddhahood, that always means, I guess, full enlightenment or at least enlightenment, do those who realize Buddhahood by seeing reality not depend on cause and effect? Should they not cultivate virtue? Again, Daikaku's answer. Although those who realize Buddhahood by seeing their true nature may cultivate virtue, they do it for others' benefit, not for rewards. Because they teach and transform sentient beings, they teach cause and effect. Because they know they have no personal gain, they do not depend on merit. 
They have no mind at all. We'll get to that no mind in, in a second. Because they know they have no personal gain. How's that? Because to awaken is to see there's no one here to gain anything. That our true self is no self. There's no person in here who's acquired anything or who can gain anything. And if there's no no person gaining anything, no self, no ego, uh, then ultimately there is nothing to be gained. Not, no, no, no merit. This is what uh, Bodhidharma meant when the emperor said what merit what have i uh what merit have i acquired by building these monasteries this is ancient china building these monasteries and doing all these things and and uh bodhidharma flatly replied no merit no merit at all Again, to repeat that ending of the sentence, uh, Daikaku, they do not depend on merit. They have no mind at all. Question, what is no mind? If there is no mind at all, who sees reality? Who awakens to the way? And who can expound the way to teach? Good questions. Who is it who sees reality? What is it that awakens to the way? Good, good questions. Right now, who is hearing? What what is it that hears? This now. And don't just give a name. What is it really that's hearing this? Now, Daikaku's reply, no mind means that there is no deluded, foolish mind. It does not mean that there is no mind to discern false from true. If one doesn't think of sentient beings, one doesn't long for Buddhas either. And the, uh, sentient beings is just the uh, is a direct uh, literal translation of a term, a Chinese term means uh, unenlightened ones. So he's saying, if one doesn't think of unenlightened ones, doesn't long to be enlightened, 
doesn't think of illusion or seek enlightenment, doesn't go along with the honor of others. Not sure what that means. Um, maybe it means not comparing oneself uh, unfavorably when others receive honors. Uh, does not hope for fame, profit, support, or reputation. Does not shrink from attacks from those who are resentful or hostile. And does not add any discriminating thoughts about any good or evil. One is called, if, if one does all those things, and does, one is called no-minded. In other words, to be free at any moment, to be free of, of self-concern, comparing oneself, self and other. Here, this is, uh, this is the 13th century, and really how much has human nature changed? in those 800 years still we human beings are troubled by comparing ourselves to others feeling inadequate feeling superior same thing it's just ego specialness feeling of being fundamentally different or special, special in our um, inferiority or superiority. Dealing with um, others who disparage us. Getting tangled up in ideas of good and evil, right and wrong. Judgments. Judgments. So many of us are shaken, really, uh, in, in Sashin when we get in touch with how reflexively we judge ourselves and others unnecessarily. It's kind of a judgment machine that's always whirring, whirring, whirring. It's, uh, it's sobering to see how, how habitual that judging is. There's a koan in the Blue Cliff record that addresses this matter of um, dealing with uh, those who would attack us, verbally or physically, it doesn't matter. And uh, it, it, it's, the whole koan is a, some lines from the Diamond Sutra. Here's how it reads. The Diamond Sutra says, 
one who is reviled by others has done wicked acts in former lifetimes which doom him to fall into evil worlds. But because of the scorn and vilification by others in the present life, the transgressions in the former life are wiped out. So says the Sutra. In other words, by enduring the scorn and disparagement of others when it comes, by enduring it, we are expiating the, the unwholesome karma uh, that uh, is the effect of past actions or words of our own. But enduring how? Not by, not by just gritting your teeth and uh, burning with resentment, but saying nothing and, and, and not reacting. That's, maybe that's better than reacting, but uh, it's not what this koan is talking about. It's a, it's a, a pretty exalted state to have the poisonous words of others, uh, the mistreatment of others, uh, just flow through you. There's a, there's a saying in, uh, in Japanese Zen, uh, flavorless words to, to receive uh, these very charged um, kind of toxic words of others, uh, receiving them as flavorless, which just just means not taking them personally. That takes a lot of years of practice. If I can share just a little story, uh, uh, after uh, a few days after uh, Roshi Kapil passed me on the Koan Mu, um, he was uh, really chewing me out about something. Uh, I don't then the details are unnecessary, um, but uh, his uh, very harsh, critical words. Uh, I still have them engraved in my memory. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. Um, they just, for the first time, they just went through me. It was just so confirming, so exhilarating. I took, I, I took his point, you know, that... I don't remember. Maybe I was uh, saying things that I really didn't know. Um, and I think I took his point, but it didn't, they didn't sting. Anyway, it's possible.
to uh, receive harsh words without taking them personally. Uh, where were we? Let's reel this back in. Moving along to the next question. The sutras do not speak of no mind, nor do they praise it. By what school of teaching do you esteem this? He's getting a lot of challenges here from this, uh, <laughs> this supposed questioner. And then Daikaku replies, Various sutras have not failed to speak of it. Some of these sutras say, The path of words ends. Some say, It cannot be explained. Or, Ultimate emptiness. Or, the condition of the one great matter. Here, Daikaku says, this, these are all different ways of referring to this realm of no mind that is beyond uh, the functioning of our ordinary mind. He continues, and also they say that all things are quiescent and dead. Shakyamuni shut his room. Vimalakirti closed his mouth. Does this not point to no mind? And and by the way, uh, no mind uh, is different from mindful. Mindful is uh, still uh, partakes of. Um, the the functioning of our of our ordinary mind the high functioning the very good functioning to be mindful we need to be mindful in uh, in our practice of zazen the mindfulness part is the noticing that our mind has wandered so mindfulness is important but then once we have noticed then in Zen, we, we endeavor to return to this uh, realm of no noticer, nothing to be noticed, no noticing. Just abiding in non-abiding. Dwelling in no thing. no mindedness then Daikaku uh, presses his point although there are 84,000 entrances to the truth in the teachings they do not go beyond form and emptiness Eighty-four thousand entrances to the truth. My uh, background in sutra study isn't enough to know what this know about this reference, but 
yeah, the point is there's so many ways uh, that we can uh, consider and consider uh, the truth in different circumstances and conditions and and actually awaken to it. But, but Daikaku says, they don't go beyond form and emptiness. The two sides of reality. This is true of the koans too. Every koan has its its unique expression of the truth. Each each one is pointing in a different way. Some are similar, but most are pointing in different ways with different characters, different monks and masters, different circumstances. But but it's all form and emptiness, the interplay of the world of, of form or differentiation, the conventional world, the world of phenomena of this and that. Uh, the interplay of that, the world of phenomena, and the world that is beyond phenomena. The world of the undifferentiated, the unconditioned. It is beyond time and space, beyond this and that, beyond discrimination of any kind. continues, everything that has form and characteristics is matter, body. That which does not show any form is all empty. Because the body has form, it is called material, and because the mind is formless, it is called empty. None of the sutras goes beyond these two things matter and emptiness. They can't explain the sphere of no mind, so they don't extol this matter. Because words cannot reach it, it is called the special transmission outside of doctrine. That's the historically how the Zen school has been, what's what it's been called special transmission outside of doc beyond words and and letter beyond doctrine question is this body to be considered illusion can it be considered enlightenment and what is the mind the basis of illusion, and this, this is still the question, the basis of illusion and enlightenment, it should be known. And is the mind inside the body or outside the body? Where does it come from? Daikaku's reply, the body of four gross elements so fire, water, earth, and air. These are the you know, 13th century and 8th century and 1st century ways of understanding uh, the body, physical things. The body of, the, of fire, water, earth, and air 
and the five clusters are skandhas, form, feeling, perception or thought, choice, consciousness. We uh, chant these in the Prajnaparamita. Uh, all of this fills the universe. All sentient beings are the foundation. Causes and conditions interact to form physical bodies. This is called birth. When the results of the causes and conditions change and die out, then the four elements disperse. This is called death. In form and characteristics, there are ordinary people and enlightened ones. But in the essence of mind, there is no delusion or enlightenment. Even so, we provisionally define the deluded as sentient beings and the enlightened as the Buddhas. Delusion and enlightenment are just creations of the deceiving mind. In the real mind, there is no illusion or enlightenment. This, uh, I, I can't resist saying, this, is, this was the most joyful um, experience of awakening, is to see that there are only enlightened beings. That's all. Full stop. Everyone equally enlightened in their original nature. It's stunning, stunning, unbelievable, and yet there it is. Only this enlightened mind. Time is up now, we'll stop and recite the four vows.